0: XX Will Travel is brought to you by Ciderbox. Ciderbox is a subscription box that delivers hard-to-find American heritage cider to your door. You can pick the size that works for you,
1: either three bottles, a half case, or a full case. Find more information at ciderbox.com. C-I-D-R-B-O-X.com.
0: <laughs> it's hard for me to tell if people are nice because they're nice people or because they're Canadian. Right. <laughs> Is there a difference? I don't think so. <laughs> I've never met a not nice Canadian
1: person. Right. I mean, I, I'm sure I did. Like when I was at McGill, but it was always so shocking. <laughs> Oh, and welcome to XX Wheel Travel. I'm Inez Bolina. And I'm Kathy Pokerbeck. And today we have a really exciting guest with us. I know so many people of you out there love her and know about her and it's Onika the Traveler.
0: Onika- Hi. <laughs> Hi. Welcome, Onika.
2: <laughs> yes. Thank you for having me.
0: Onika Raymond is the voice behind Onika the Traveler an award-winning travel blog dedicated to inspiring, encouraging, and empowering women and people of color to see the world. An international educator, writer, serial expat, and travel junkie, Onika's passion for discovery is boundless, and her adventures abroad have taken her to over 100 countries on six continents. Onika has written for and been featured in major publications such as Condé Nast Traveler, the BBC, the Huffington Post, Essence, Ebony, National Geographic Traveler, BuzzFeed and CNN. And she is currently working with the Travel Channel to produce the show Big City Little Budget.
1: Well, Mm -hmm. let's just begin with your journey into becoming Onika the Traveler. How did you get your start as a blogger?
2: I guess starting up into travel blogging is related to my travel story. So basically what happened was I grew up in Toronto. I didn't really travel that much. I mean, I traveled to the U.S. and also to the Caribbean to visit family I caught the travel bug when I decided to do my junior year of college abroad. And I was abroad in France for a year. At that point, you know, social media didn't exist. I mean, there was no Facebook. There certainly wasn't any Instagram. I mean, I barely had internet. But that first year abroad, I found it really difficult to keep in touch with friends and family, primarily due to that, Um, you know, lack of internet, lack of social media, so on and so forth. So the second year I lived in France, I decided to start up a blog, and in this way, I figured that I would be able to avoid all those unanswered emails I was sending, and I figured that I could kind of have a repository or an area where I could keep my reflections, my photos, and basically my travel log, so that's how I got started up into travel blogging, even though at the time, it was just a way to keep in touch with the people I knew and loved. It wasn't for public consumption. Yeah, times were different back then. So different. I started my first blog in 2005. So again, you know, Facebook did not exist. So the landscape was completely different back in those days.
0: I also studied abroad and lived abroad during a time without pre-Facebook and limited internet access, and I find it really hard to explain to people (laughs) about those dark days.
2: (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, and we didn't know any different. So I think it's, it's just amazing to see how far we've come and how much, I guess, that sort of technology has developed and how it allows us to keep in touch. I mean, I can't picture a time or a life without social media, so... This is super interesting.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. I grew up all over the world. Like my dad had one of those crazy jobs and I still had to handwrite letter to my friends up until maybe I was eighteen.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of travel bloggers start as their blogs, or at least back in the in the dark ages yeah. as we're calling it, as a kind of like, hey, this is what I'm doing, I'm still alive, this is the these are the cool things I'm seeing. And so that sounds like that's kind of how you got your start. Yeah. How do you think you made your travel blog unique? Like, how did it evolve to be something that's that's different from all the ones that are out there?
2: I think that, I mean, I started, as I said, as a way to keep in contact with people. And then afterward, it kind of morphed into not just a record of my life and travels abroad, but also a place where I... Could kind of voice my opinions and one of the ways i mean back in those stone ages (laughs) that my blog was different from others and maybe not so much now because there's so many you know more people creating content online and a lot of it is personality driven and opinion driven people are discussing issues and whatnot but i think that back in those days you know a long time ago 10 12 years ago that i probably differentiated myself From the other travel blogs, because I wasn't talking exclusively about travel. I was talking about social issues, political issues, and all of those kind of intermingled with the travel advice and, you know, the photos and so on and so forth. So I was talking about more, I guess, than your average travel blog at the time.
1: Do you remember a key moment when your blog kind of exploded into the mainstream or was it
2: incrementally? It was kind of incremental. Anything I have today or any success that I've kind of gotten along the way, it's never been overnight. There are so many building blocks there and the journey has been long and and winding to where I'm at right now. So that's why it's always kind of difficult. when People are like, oh my goodness, I love what you're doing. How can I do it too? Well, first of all, the landscape was so different back in the day that the paths were different as you noted, I started out in education. So, I mean, I I had a career and I was just kind of doing this on the side. I think because it wasn't my main gig, I was really free to write as often as I wanted, to write about things and topics that I wanted to write about. And I didn't feel, I guess, constricted Um, I didn't necessarily feel as though I had to brand myself or fit into a particular category. I don't know. I think there were a lot of little things along the way that kind of catapulted me into a realm where people knew who I was. Years ago, maybe it was in, in 2011 or 2012, I started contributing to Huffington Post And this is when the contributor program was very, very new. And I wrote an article or a blog post about, it was about race and travel. It was essentially like, should I be mad when people take my photos when I travel uh, just because I'm black? That really, I mean, at the time, got a lot of shares on Huffington Post. So I think I, I got a lot of new readers and followers on the back of that but again, um I think it's always been sort of incremental. I don't think there's ever been like an, an aha moment or a time where, you know, I was I was launched on the back of like one thing into the mainstream.
0: And do you think that's I feel like back to our dark ages, people there wasn't an expectation of instant fame and people were just a lot more patient to watch their projects build and grow. Oh well, yeah,
2: definitely. Definitely. I mean It's so, so, so different now. I mean, people are getting into travel blogging and just being media personalities with the express purpose of making it. Uh, And once upon a time, I'm not going to say that it was the halcyon days or the golden years or whatever, but once upon a time, there were just a lot of people who were online who wanted to communicate with one another. And there was no promise of fame or there certainly wasn't any promise of fortune, uh, we were just doing it because we wanted to share and because we wanted to connect there were there were no i guess external benefits really to to doing what we were doing there was nothing financial or or anything like that
1: well one of the things that we see a lot is that now it's not enough to you know just have like a travel blog you also have to have a social media presence oh,
2: oh totally <laughs>
1: <laughs> how did you start incorporating those and how do you keep it all together seeing as now you have to worry about facebook twitter instagram you know plus your blog plus your
2: other uh, outlets yeah the truth is that i don't <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's always a constant struggle for me. I'm not the one who has an editorial calendar or, you know, I don't have an assistant or anything like that. Anything that you see me post, it's me personally who has posted it. I never have a plan, you know, even now (laughs) that it's basically my job, it's still 100% organic. I don't stress myself out about it because, I don't know, I mean... I think social media is really important. I think um, you can reach so many people, perhaps so many more these days than than just with a blog. But one of the things that I always maintain when people ask me, you know, how how I made it in the biz or how they themselves can achieve some sort of success, is um, I don't put all my eggs into one basket. I guess that's why my journey has evolved and my roles have been really diverse and the things that I do have been really diverse because I haven't limited myself to any one channel or any one thing and for me now that you know I work in media more so than I than I blog you know I started doing on camera presenting and I do public speaking engagements and I do freelance writing for other publications and then I blog for myself and I do social media for myself and I do marketing campaigns for different destinations because I do such a wide range of things that's why I don't mind as much if I let my social media slip if Instagram were to go away tomorrow well you know that's cool because I have all of these other things on the go
0: Right, mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. Like, how many pictures of yourself in a bikini looking over a
2: beautiful landscape can you post? you <laughs> know, right. I mean, I mean, and, and that's the thing, and, and not to knock the people who who are doing that. I mean, many careers have been built and have been made on that. Um, sometimes I, I lament, you know, I haven't posted on Instagram in like a week, and I just, I was thinking to myself, oh, I should probably post something on Instagram today. But it's one of those things where I do see that, Instagram is is really veering into territory where it certainly is not Insta, <laughs> like it's not instant, it's highly, highly curated, and you see the same sort of content like all the time. You know, I guess I've kind of lost interest in it to a degree, because at the heart of it all, even though I love visual imagery, and I think it's, it's really important, um, I'm also very much a written and a verbal storyteller so I guess the preeminence or the popularity of these really posed photos and the girl is wearing a a hat and like this this kind of bohemian dress and she has her hand on the back of her hat and it's perched just so I mean I think (laughs) at a certain point you know I I just kind of get tired of it. And I'm just like, oh, well, let me just take a break from Instagram for a while and develop some of the other projects I've been doing. So, But it's
0: crazy because there's a demand for it. Like these people, (laughs) these people wouldn't, I'm with you. I'm like the verbal storytelling. I love words. It really, it hurts me that the youth, is going to to Instagram to look at, like, the same picture 20 times.
1: And for me, like, my big pet peeve is exactly that, is this idea of, like, the carefree woman traveler as if that's all traveling was, was, like, you looking like you stepped out of a runway, you know, impossibly fresh after, like, a 15-hour flight. (laughs)
2: And it becomes my more Instagram about you. Selling, Instagram is selling dreams, right? It's, it's highly aspirational. And I don't think that Instagram is the medium for reality. It's everything but reality. It's irreality. It's, it's, it, it's not reality. It transcends reality. So, I mean, I understand and I, and I can appreciate it for what it is. And I myself kind of play into that as well but i think this is why i think it's so important to have other things outside of instagram where you can maybe be a little bit more real and you can connect with your audience on a more transparent and real level because it's not all about the visuals or the pose or modeling you know funnily enough i mean i've i've talked to people i i count some instagram insta famous people among some of my friends and colleagues in this industry and I've had a few conversations with some of these Insta-famous people um, who have, you know, upwards of 100,000 followers on Instagram, and they themselves are worried because they're kind of like, well, how how do I set myself apart from the 50 million other girls wearing the same dress, going to the same places, doing the same poses? A lot of these, and, you know, they're primarily women, but a lot of these women are kind of, they're indistinguishable one from the other. So can you build a career on that? A long-term career? I think that still remains to be seen because I think this phase of Instagram is still relatively new. But again, that's why I always say that it's important to be doing other things and to be doing more things than just that.
0: And it would get boring after a while, I think, if you're not branching out into other other realms,
2: yeah, sure, sure,
1: well, that kind of is a good segue into, you know our question about like becoming, you know, your own travel brand or travel personality. Uh, I mean, you kind of gave a tip to people who are, want to do that you know by saying like make sure that you don't put all your eggs in one basket but do you have other tips especially considering how much the landscape has changed since the dark ages
2: i think that having something to say being authentic and having something to say will always separate you from the rest people naturally you know followers and fans they gravitate towards messages that resonate with them for whatever reason So I think that one of the paths to success is kind of having that message and connecting with your followers and fans in that way. So being about something, standing for something, standing up against something, I think that's what will really make you unique and will really make your voice heard. Because as I said, I, I, I was talking about all these other issues related to travel before many people were doing it. And I think that I got recognized earlier on because of that. Because I was the girl who wasn't just talking about backpacking through India. I was talking about what it was like to travel as a person of color in India. So I think when you position yourself to speak on issues that resonate with people. Like it's not purely informational, but you're also inserting yourself into, I guess, this issue and presenting your unique viewpoint. Uh, I think that that is kind of what makes you unique. Or even, you know, I write a lot about women and womanhood and what being a woman means, or being a woman traveler means in different situations and in different countries. Um, I talk a lot about culture. You know, If you look at my social feeds, uh, I talk a lot about cultural phenomenon, which, you know, it's related to travel, but it's not just how to backpack on $50 a day.
0: So, yeah, and that kind of gets into um, our next question, which is how you're such a big advocate for women travelers and especially women of color. So why do you think that's important that that they travel as well?
2: I think that I always champion people of color traveling because I traveled for leisure and for education and to find myself, you know, I was doing that sort of traveling 10, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, and I saw very few people like me doing it. And when I started doing it, it was one of those things where people were kind of like, wait a minute, people like you don't, don't travel. And I mean, I had internalized that myself. I think the quintessential traveler is a young white male. I think, number one, we should always be the change that we want to see. And number two, once you are that change, you will end up encouraging and inspiring others like you to make the same leap. Uh, visibility and representation are so important and years ago again I wrote an article on my blog that was really well received and it got a lot of people talking and thinking and I talked about the lack of black people specifically um, the lack of representation of black people in the travel media space and how as you know, black people in North America or black people in the Western world, we've sort of internalized that we don't travel. I mean, of course, this has changed now. This has changed in the last five years. But one of the reasons it's changed is because there have been media companies that have kind of made it their mandate to focus on black millennial travelers. So definitely now we're seeing a shift Uh, But in the very beginning, uh, we didn't. So, uh, you know, that that wasn't really a thing. So I think that's why I was and still am such a huge advocate of people of color traveling. And, of course, as I find myself at the the intersections of, you know, being a woman and also uh, being a black woman, uh, I think that's why I kind of champion that
1: yeah um i mean you know i'm i'm peruvian and i've noticed that there is a lot of in this internalized idea that like here in the states that minorities somehow don't travel or it's too scary like in some instances it's real fear you know like if i marginalized in the states imagine what it would be like in x country yeah things like that um which you know I, i find honestly kind of like very very sad for all of us because it's also our world of
2: course
0: yeah so when you started your blog did you did did it just evolve into this is it was something you noticed or has this kind of always been on your mind and um did you intend for this to be a big part of your i don't think you it doesn't sound like you intended
2: to be a brand but i don't know i just i just wrote you know i I got my domain name, I wasn't really thinking about it, it was all very organic, which sounds so strange to say because many people get into travel blogging because of the free trips or because they want to get paid to travel or, but yeah, I mean, I just kind of started it and I always loved to talk about things that were on my mind and write about them and so it just evolved into that.
1: Hey Kathy, can we talk about how amazing Ciderbox is? Ciderbox? What's Ciderbox? Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> Ciderbox is a subscription service that sends heritage American cider to your door. To your door? Yes, and you can choose either three bottles, six bottles, or a whole case. So, what are some of the benefits of ordering Ciderbox? Ooh, well there's the spiritual one because it's delicious and it will brighten your day. It's also gluten-free. So for all those people that preferred their things without gluten, it also helps. The world. Ciderbox is proud to support the American Farmland Trust in their mission to save the land that sustains us by protecting farmland, promoting sound farming practices, and keeping farmers on the land. And a donation is made to the American Farmland Trust for every Ciderbox sold. Plus, you can get a discount when you use the promo code XXWILLTRAVEL. So make sure to check it out at Ciderbox.com, C I D R B O X.com. Well, you've also addressed the topic of slow travel versus fast travel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Could you tell us what you mean by those two concepts and then why you unapologetically are a fast traveler?
2: Mm -hmm. So I think in general, there's so much elitism in the travel space now that more people are traveling. And there's so many people kind of drawing lines and, and being on sides. And one of the debates that has kind of sprung up in the travel industry, uh, travel blog in particular, is this idea of slow travel versus fast travel. And slow travel is where you really take your time and you absorb the destinations. Sometimes you forego seeing the prominent or the popular sites of a particular place because, you know, you eschew this idea of travel consumerism and Running from destination to destination just to be able to check it off your list. Um, Slow travel is when you travel somewhere without blazing through it, or you know when you. I guess the idea, as I as I started off with, of really absorbing and internalizing and savoring the experience. Whereas fast travel is more so defined by having checklists and ticking off the the big things and traveling through 12 countries in 10 days. For me, I'm just a huge advocate of traveling, period. I think everybody should get out there and travel. And as long as they're not harming anybody, as long as they're not harming themselves, then I'm all for it. So I hate this idea of travel snobbery, where you have some people pitting themselves against others because of the way they choose to travel. I adore both types of travel. Um, I've done lots of slow travel. I've done lots of fast travel and one isn't better than the other. Um, And so I usually, you know, I I like kind of writing these posts where I rage against the machine or (laughs) where I run kind of like counter to what the prevailing, Thought or trends are. Um, so I wrote about fast travel and how, you know what, it doesn't make me any less of a traveler because I travel quickly or I've only gone to the capital city of a place or because I've gone to somewhere that's really touristy. And I think we should just all live and let live and live and let travel, basically.
0: It's true. Yeah. I myself am a slow traveler. Like, I because partially because when I get someplace, I like to stay there for a while, which is, you know, laziness. Um, (laughs) At the same time, it's kind of like, how much time do you really have? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It would be nice if we all had six weeks to spend in the Italian countryside, but we don't. No,
1: (laughs) some of us have to pay bills and go to work and all that.
2: I think travel has kind of become. Um, at least in the last five to ten years, it's become a marker of class and education. It's become a marker of social status. And that's why you get these people who try and kind of create this hierarchy, right? Because they want to show that they're more cultured and, like, more intelligent and have more class than other people. So people who are considered tourists, you know, are are of a or are lower on the totem pole than people who are these authentic travelers, which I think is a load of crap, to be quite honest with you.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's very moneyed. It's very yeah. moneyed and
2: And you can show that you've arrived or that you've made it. So saying that, oh you know, well, when I was on safari in Namibia, opposed to saying that you went to Disneyland is supposed to connote a, lo- a certain level of education and class and, and socioeconomic status. And I think that's where all of these kinds of debates have sort of sprung from. You know, this tourist versus traveler, slow travel versus fast traveler or travel. I think this is where it springs from. It springs from people wanting to kind of create this illusion of a certain lifestyle or of having arrived at a certain life status, I guess. People just trying to show off, basically. And now that everybody's traveling, you know, it's not so big of a deal anymore. You know, Loads of people are traveling across the world. Those who are trying to show off and who are trying to make it seem as though they're better than everybody else, well, they're trying to find a way to do that. So that's why you get all these distinctions and these hierarchies within the travel space.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And it also always comes off or it tends to come off to as like intellectual snobbery. Like I somehow have this like magic way of knowing what's cooler before the rest of the world does.
2: (laughs) Sure, this being in the know. I think that's a huge thing for people. I think that certain types of international travel hold a certain level of cachet and it's impressive to people. So when I tell people that, oh, well, you know, I lived in France for two years and, uh, you know, I went to this vineyard and it, it, it gives this air of exclusivity. And I think this is what a number of people who travel are searching for. This, they want to be elite. And as I just said, it's becoming increasingly difficult to do so when the majority of millennials are traveling or have thought about it or are making plans to travel. You know, being a digital nomad, it's not, it's not that big of a deal anymore. Everybody's doing that, right? Everybody has an internet connection. Everybody can secure cheap flights. You know, maybe not everybody, but more people than ever before. So this thing that made you a special snowflake, <laughs> I call it the special snowflake syndrome. You know, how do you become a special snowflake when everybody is kind of on that path. And I think that's what you see a lot of now.
0: Right. And it, it does feed into the exclusion of people of color traveling because yeah, historically, sure. you know, it's it's definitely been a racial thing, but also a money thing and mm-hmm. a class thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, and
1: even, I mean, I have the the strange experience as a Peruvian of having seen my country become a country where like no one went to ever to suddenly becoming a super hot spot. And on the one hand, like I'm super proud of that, you know, I'm really glad people are getting to know Peru. On the other hand, though, I do have those interactions with people who I know five years ago would have probably said something like, Peru, oh my God, like is it super poor and dirty, (laughs) you know? But now they're like just raving about it because all their cool friends are
2: raving about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's the commoditization of travel, right? So now, you know, you are a traveler in, in quotations because you hike to Machu Picchu. <laughs> right? that's, that's a marker of elitism or, or class. Um, whereas maybe 20 years ago, People would have been like, "Ooh, you went to Peru? Ooh, you went to Colombia? Oh my God, Bolivia! What's that?"
1: Yeah, Uh, it was totally the marker of like a super hippie, like dirty
2: dirty. traveler (laughs) before. And now it's kind of like, "Oh, well, you haven't been to Peru? You know, do you even lift?"
0: (laughs) 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 Which is which is also interesting because I think like with the Peruvian example, Uh it goes like the the like traveler quote unquote goes to extremes where it's either you're super luxe and had and like got carried up to Machu Picchu or you're super badass and we're like I went by myself (laughs) and I took a trail that no one has ever taken before it's
1: so true (laughs) and it's it's funny because I always get asked like well do you have tips on how to go to Machu Picchu and I've been there three times but i've done it like the local way which is i woke up super early got on the local train and headed up to machu picchu right, right, right. which is rarely like the option that a lot of travelers go for
2: trendy 5 day hike
0: yeah guilty <laughs> no
1: it's beautiful <laughs> and you know it's it's very much worth it but it's it's very true that it does have that that connotation of extremes of extreme you know like even if you're hiking, you're either doing it in the in the glamping way, or you're or right. you're on the brink of
0: death. Yeah. But it's cool death. Cool death. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not like you know you're gonna get dysentery and die. And no. You're gonna fall off a mountain doing what you love. Yeah. Anyway, it's hard to get morbid. No.
1: <laughs> um, so you do have a new Travel Channel show called Big City Little Budget.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, so basically, um, blessings are real. You know, I've always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to do on-camera work. I wanted to do more on-camera stuff. It's always kind of been something that I, I don't know, I guess a, a dream that I had that kind of got, I don't want to say lost throughout traveling or in traveling, but, you know, I guess it was deferred. It was, I had always loved broadcast journalism, and then when it was time for me to go to school, I took a bit of a different path and started working in education, started traveling and all that. But yeah, I decided about a year ago to kind of make more of an effort to do more on-camera stuff. And so um, I recently signed on with the Travel Channel working on this digital series called Big City, Little Budget, as you've mentioned. And essentially, um, it's where I go to some of the most expensive cities in the U.S. And I show people how they can experience this city, but on a budget. So for, so for a little money, they can still have a good time in some of these really expensive destinations. So we filmed a few videos in New York City. I'm actually flying out to San Francisco to do another installment. So I'll be flying out to San Francisco next week to film a little bit there and it's been great. I mean I have always, as I said, love the idea of being on camera and I, you know, do segments for different, you know, programs on television and so on and so forth. So yeah, I really am excited about this opportunity and I think it's gonna be great. And I also have some other things kind of on the go with HGTV. I filmed a project with them this past week in Seattle. I have another project that I'm filming in Knoxville in a couple of weeks from now. So I'm really, I'm really excited. I, I love this idea of being able to educate people about travel and to get them to think about certain destinations in a way that they haven't thought about them before. So, yeah, it's really exciting.
0: Do you think your teaching helped prepare you for this?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think that education is at the heart of everything that I do. You know, so that, there's that. You know, education is is basically the basis or at the heart of everything I do. And also, I think that being a teacher for 10 years has really helped me in knowing how to kind of disseminate information, knowing how to package information, knowing essentially how to kind of educate people on different topics, travel or otherwise. Do you
0: do you miss teaching? Do you miss being in front of the classroom at all?
2: Um, yes and no. I mean, sometimes I miss the kids because I missed I, I've worked with school age children, so I worked with teens and preteens. But I'm still I'm still teaching at the end of the day. I'm still teaching and I go and speak at schools every once in a while. I'm supposed to be going to speak at a school at the end of the month. So I, I do get my fill. I think my role as, as a teacher has kind of changed and the format has changed, but the root of it or the core of it is still the same.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So just to wrap things up a little bit, you've been to over 100 countries. I have, yeah. That is amazing. So what are your favorite places to go to?
2: Oh, that's always a struggle. It's always really difficult for me to answer that because I think, but I think that what you feel about a country is so wrapped up in factors that have nothing to do with the actual destination. So, you know, the point you're at in your life or the people that you've met on the road and stuff like that. But aesthetically, I really love Rio de Janeiro, I think it's a beautiful city. Um, I've been twice now I love the weather Um, I love Brazilian culture so that's definitely a favorite of mine and that's a city that I could visit again and again and again I mean a city that I could see myself living in I love Hong Kong because I lived in Hong Kong for five years and I just find it to be a really interesting city because you really have the convergence of east and west so eastern and western cultures i love all of france i lived in france for two years and i've visited many many times um in particular i love the south of france so like the nice area i went to cape town and i thought it was a really beautiful city uh yeah maybe those are those are kind of my top my top picks places i enjoy and i can go back to again and again and again so for example i i really like italy i just i love i love italy like if i have to choose and actually, I did have to choose uh, back in May. I was like, should I visit a new country? Should I go to Belarus or should I go back to Italy? And I chose Italy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that says a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I just I knew I would feel good there. I knew that I would eat well. I knew that it would be really beautiful and visually stimulating. So I was like, let me go back to Italy, even though I could have gone to Minsk, Belarus. Let me go to let me go to Venice. So that was kind of what I did.
1: <laughs> well, were there any trips that you found particularly challenging?
2: I went to Egypt at a time where there was still a lot of civil unrest because of all the political stuff happening there. So I found Egypt traveling. I found traveling to Egypt, even though it's stunning, it's one of the you know some of the sites I've seen there are some of the most incredible sites I've ever seen. Um, but I think because of that social and political aspect. Um, it made things really difficult. I had you know, people haggling me all the time and um there was some concerns with safety because I had gotten pickpocketed and just got this huge runaround. Uh so I think that's you know, if I had to think about a challenging trip, Egypt definitely would have been it. So where are you
0: traveling next and where can people find you to follow your adventures?
2: So uh this month. So October, I am for now going to be traveling only or exclusively around the US. So I'll be heading to San Francisco next week. I just got back from Seattle. And then I'm supposed to be going to Knoxville at the end of the month and Connecticut at the end of the month as well. And then in November, so far, I have a trip to Hong Kong and to Bali, to Indonesia planned. Uh, So, yeah, it should be really fun. So you can follow all of my Instagram and (laughs) Facebook and social media. But, yeah, so anybody can follow me. If they like, they can follow my adventures on my blog, which is onikathetraveler.com. Traveler with two L's because I'm Canadian. And we have Canadian slash British spelling. And um, you can follow me on my social media feeds. If you just type in my name, Onika, O-N-E, I-K-A. I'm usually... The first, <laughs> the first that pops up because nobody really has that. So yeah, you can follow me on Instagram, on Facebook. I'm quite active um, and on my blog.
0: How do you feel like most of your destinations are the, are they coming up or the U.S.? How do you feel about that?
2: I feel great. <laughs> <laughs> I've been traveling nonstop since about April, since we met actually in, uh, at WITS. I've been traveling nonstop. So it's nice to kind of be traveling still, but a bit closer to home.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah cuz it's not traveling is not an Instagram feed. That's no. for sure. <laughs> okay.
2: Totally.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh talking
1: with us today. We loved everything you have to say and we're we're just really
0: happy. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And we're super fans. Yes, we
1: are.
2: <laughs> thank you, ladies.
1: Now it's time for our new segment called Top 3 Tips, where we decide to give you either suggestions on a destination or some sort of travel hack, or basically break down a travel question you may have in your mind with three bite-sized tips uh, for you to for you to, yes, to use when this comes up. So today, Kathy is going to give her top three things to know how to say in another country.
0: That's right, all you need to know is three (laughs) things to get you out of any situation. The first one is thank you. You know how to say thank you in many languages. Gracias, merci, (laughs) obrigada, arigato, Shay tatenda, those are just a few examples. Everyone will appreciate you saying thank you. It shows that you appreciate their efforts and that you're a gracious person and not a rude American. That's <laughs> <laughs> Num- why, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Number two. Excuse me slash I'm sorry, which are often similar or the same in other languages. Permiso, How help me out here, Nez. Uh, je suis désolé. I know that one in French. Yeah. What else do I know? (laughs) Um, How do you say I'm sorry in in Japanese? What is it? Sumasen. That's also excuse me. So learn that one. Number two will get you out of all sorts of sticky situations where maybe you have been the rude American. And to our non-American listeners, congratulations for not being The rude American. We
1: get a pass all the time, right?
0: (laughs) Number three is hello, Jumbo, Konnichiwa, (laughs) Bonjour, (laughs) Hola. We could go on for days. Guten Tag. Guten Tag. Everyone knows how to say hello in another language, or you might know, but not know you know, but now you know. So, three things to learn thank you, I'm sorry. Hello, And any local will be more than happy to teach you and impressed that you want to learn a little more about their culture.
1: Yes. And if you want to go, you know, for the top and really be an overachiever, I would add beer to that (laughs) list. Right. But thanks, Kathy. You're welcome. (laughs) So that is it for our episode. Um, If you like us, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at xxwilltravel. And on Facebook, you can also find us at XXWillTravel. And
0: if you love us, you can subscribe on iTunes or Podbean or Stitcher or Podcast at Podcast Addict or any place podcasts are uh, listened to. And you know what? If you're modest and you don't want to tell us you subscribe, that's fine because we'll never know because, you know, Apple Podcast doesn't release that information. We won't. <laughs> now, if you're obsessed with us, You can
1: leave us a very nice review on iTunes, and that we will find out about, and it will make our little hearts a flutter.
0: And we don't judge, like, that you're obsessed.
1: No, no, No. we we welcome it. We encourage it. Yes. (laughs) So that's all for now. Uh, In the meantime, go forth and travel.